You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. This actress slash entrepreneur uh, recently entered the very crowded black hair care space. Um, but she's also the star of two Tracy very Ellis Ross. <laughs> yes. You know, I've actually... Pattern of Beauty. Pattern Beauty, yay for her. Mm-hmm. But I haven't heard great reviews about it. Really? From the natural hair community. Is it I heard crappy? that it was like... It's almost too slick because that's the hard thing with product is like you want it to be slick and conditioning but it can be too where it's like mayonnaise and mm-hmm. i've just heard it's like i I've, I've heard it's good for hair similar to her hair that's what i'm thinking yeah but not for c mm-hmm. which it was supposed to be like for everyone so i haven't tried it though so i won't write it off just yet i'm also just not a product girl so yeah, she know, might not ever get my coins apple cider vinegar yep and, and- Wash and go on your Yep, good. and prayer. Welcome back, guys. Hey, my love. Thank you for hanging with us on our break. I feel like this is such a hard time because, like, holidays come up and, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to keep it going out here. But mm-hmm. And also new jobs new and jobs promotions. And promotions and apartments. This and one just, over like, here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I just played that. I'm gonna kill it my floor. Oh, you can't. Ari Lennox. Whenever. Alrighty, are we ready to get started? I feel like uh, so much, so much always (laughs) happens. But my first topic is gonna be full rant. So I don't know. A doozy. I don't know if you want me to start. Um, I think. I mean, it's it's the most logical okay. starting place for our for our, our 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 opening section. So let's just start. Maybe start. Maybe slide into it. Okay. So <laughs> this is less about the fool that the story is about, mm-hmm. and more about me just wanting to educate and open up a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm literally going to say the fool's name maybe once. Make it plain, and then we're talking about the real thing, mm-hmm. right? So. This week, everyone's favorite prison rapper, (laughs) T.I., was on a podcast bragging about the fact that... Because you know T.I. uses words as... Why is he called a prison Because you know T.I. uses words as if he's just been reading the dictionary in prison. Like the guy uh, on In Living Living Color. Color. He's exactly like that. Where you're just like, who talks like that? What are you saying? So on this podcast, he brags about the fact that even now, as his daughter is 18 years old, he goes to the gynecologist. Well, he puts a post-it on her 
uh, door to remind her of the gynecologist appointment goes with her. I'm going to use the word of what it is coerces her into signing over papers that allow the doctor to tell her private medical records because she's 18 at this point to her dad and do a hymen check to make sure that she Still is a virgin. A virgin. Where can I begin? <laughs> I don't even know. I just, I saw it was trending the other day and I was like, why is T.I. trending alongside his daughter's hymen? And <sighs> don't we have more important things to be worried about? It's, it's, it's just, it's a broader statement. It is. On, on, it's a broader American statement culture. on American culture, on rape culture, on the possession of women's bodies, on the general miseducation of sex in this country. Mm-hmm. Number one, to anyone that does not know, and I will put a link to a very good TED Talk on the hymen, mm-hmm. hymen and, and virginity do are not related. Mm-hmm. The 80% of women who are sexually active still have their hymen. Mm-hmm. A large percent of women that do not are not sexually active. You can lose your hymen riding a bicycle, doing a cartwheel, doing a split. <laughs> a cartwheel. Do, on the monkey bars. You felt like literally anything. It's like a thin membrane film. Mm-hmm. It's not a piece of skin right. over your vagina that gets punctured when a penis goes <laughs> in it. It's a scintillating conversation. Number two. It's not scintillating. It's biology. And yeah. I think that's the problem is that we think that it's like this like sexual feeling. It's biological. Right. And if the doctor is literally doing this, she needs her license revoked because that's also a problem for you to not explain to this man that right. what you're asking me, there's no way that I can prove, nor should we want to do that. Mm. This is your daughter's body. She owns this. And yeah. she owned it even before she was 18. Yeah, you having a daughter does not make you owner of her body. The part that made me cringe the most when when he was describing, um, uh, be, like being there in front of the daughter and the and the doctor's office, uh, I guess the the nurse or whomever at the at the desk, like signing, talking signing her the, into yeah, signing talking, it. Like like yeah, you want me to see these records, right? That's so That's scary. so abusive. That's abuse. Ugh. I'm like this I I don't I'm not tiptoeing around any of the fact that that is very psychological and sexually ab- abusive for someone who has the authority over your well-being like your father does to yeah. then coerce you into making him be included in something as personal as that. Yeah. That's a huge problem. Yeah, because I mean, and again, like it, it says so much about the the, gen, the gender disparity. Because right. Because did you I take remember, your son? It, right. Are you worried about your son and having sex? I remember sex? going to the doctor as a teenager, mm-hmm. and like my mom being like, "Okay, you need to talk to your doctor alone." Okay. Duh. So, you know, because that, it's your body. <laughs> yeah. And my thing is also what is very scary in this is that <sighs> number one, it's teaching black girls that we do not have agency over our bodies it's teaching us that our sexual desires are linked to shame something we shouldn't be doing and something that we need to be proving that we are abstaining from in order to be deemed as pure or worth it or and that is especially from a religious standpoint is so scary and really violent yeah it's very violent to teach your daughter that her body does not belong to her yeah. and that it belongs to anyone other yeah. than her. Yeah. And then that her worth is 
in any way connected to whether she had done that or not. Which play, which also plays into so many of the like the discrimination suits and uh, sexual harassment suits mm-hmm. that we see in the workplace, like like women like sometimes women feeling like well well if if i said no then what i don't have a job and yeah yeah, if she says no to this man who is her father Mm -hmm. she lives in his house Mm -hmm. that is abuse and then my other big gross 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 thing about this is people's reactions to it (laughs) and like what is scary for me is that virginity is a social construct virginity is not real If we're talking about virginity being a penis going inside of a a vagina, do you mean that if I had anal sex with 500 men, I'm still a virgin? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. the the stipulations that we put, and we only do this for women's bodies. Mm -hmm. No one's saying to a man, oh, okay, well, you only put it in this kind of hole, or you only do, you know what I mean? Nobody's Mm -hmm. doing that because... Men are allowed to do whatever they want with their bodies. Mm. Women, they are actually going down to the specific hole to determine (sighs) what we are and aren't and what label they give us, right? It should make you shudder because it's so disgusting and so dangerous and something that a lot of us, especially those raised in the church, are fed before we are fed anything Mm -hmm. else. And then we're fed that and we're not even fed the education part. And so if we do decide to go outside of it, right, it's like, then we have to figure it out on our own. And then when you connect this, as I often do, to the legacy of slavery in this country, black women were seen as whores, unrapeable, mm-hmm. right? Just breeding ground. And so while I while I do have a, a spot in my heart that believes T.I. is trying to break this stereotype, right? By like bragging about a daughter that has remained pure. Because I do think that for fathers, there's a lot of that, of them saying like, look at my daughter. Like, we think these things about black women, not my daughter, but... I don't get that from what he's doing, but... Yeah, I mean, I I could see it. But I I totally applaud you because I know you for like being able to see that That glimmer of possibility. Yeah, and that's why like I... Because the thing is, so I thankfully don't have a dad like this. Like, Mm -hmm. I do not have a dad who has policed my body in any way with tattoos, with any of it. He's like, just like, that does not belong to me. It never did. So, like, like, I also don't have a dad that wants to, like, give me away. Right? Like, it's just like, (laughs) he, my, Herman knows that I have been my own person since I was born. Um, So, I'm thankful for that. But I do think that it's really dangerous that we are passing the ownership, right? Black women, black people in this country have always been owned. And specifically for black women, we are now passing that from like slave masters to dads to husbands. Mm. Like at what point is our body ours? Only when we're like single and we don't have a dad around? Sounds that way. Gross. The whole thing Throw it all away. Throw it all away and read a fucking (laughs) book. My thing is like, People being like, oh, well, I wouldn't want my daughter. And it's like, are you kidding? You're, who do you think your 18-year-old son is out here sleeping with? Right. Because then if he's gay, then you're mad about that. Right. What do you want from what us? What do you want from him? Right. Like Jennifer Love here. What do you want? Where are you? What do you want from me? <laughs> like, it's like, you got to make up your mind. Either you want your men to be super masculine and have sex with a bunch of women, or you want your women to be virginal and never have sex with anybody. You can't right. have both. Right. I agree. And Kanye's out here 
found God, which we're not going to question, but telling his staff to uh, refrain from premarital sex as they work on his album. What? Yeah. Kanye told the people working on Jesus is King that they needed to refrain from premarital sex to, like, get their spirits right. Because those two things are mutually exclusive. You can't be... And because Kanye wasn't just on an album talking about, like... Come on, come on! It's just gross. And we, we also know what Kanye's penis looks like, and like, and who? <laughs> it's just gross to me that like when we find religion, that's it. Religion is then equated to control of women's bodies and sexuality. <sighs> well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because <clears throat> another thing I wanted to just kind of drop here under that topic was Kanye's um um relationship with Kim and like how that's evolved mm-hmm. because it's starting to get like some turn into some scary it was know. always controlling it's just yeah. in a different and the way, way now. to your point the way he remember how he talked he would talk about her before yeah like a mannequin like a doll like a, like doll, a goddess and, the, and the, the ultimate like he would reach the ultimate mm-hmm. and she was so fine and mm-hmm. had all his courage blah 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 mm-hmm. he marries her and now has found Got, found his yep his you can't even of, say his it. version of christianity that works for him mm-hmm. apparently and now kim uh, now he's on what keeping up with the kardashians telling her she's dressing too sexy mm-hmm. and that north can't wear makeup yeah and she went on the real but only um, controlling the women you see that because he has sons mm-hmm. but he's not worried about that he went on um well not him uh kim went on the real recently and talked about how she's compromised so much now because he's had this big transformation, and it was it was something else. She was like, she said, "I do think that you know he's my husband, so obviously I want to honor him and what he's feeling." He's which being- <laughs> I, which I can respect parts of that, right? We grow together, but it's like for at to what end is yeah. he doing that? Well, I don't feel bad for Kim in the slightest, but I do think like it it does just feel interesting that his version of religion really looks like gospel and now controlling your wife. Yeah. Cuz oh, like what else? Yeah. Here's a and we can move on after that, but um here's the quote that got me. Like they were trying to they were trying to give her an out because they it was like kind of cringy. Getting weird. Yeah, yeah, it was getting weird. And so Was Amanda Seals on that episode? Oh. Thanks. So. Uh, that would have been I'm not, good. I, you know, I don't watch a real. I, this is from things I was reading. Um, but she she said, um, uh, who, "Who's the the Asian host? I can't remember her name." She's dating Young Jeezy, though. Yes. Yeah. So she she, she tried to get Kim out, and she was like, "So it's more the detail of the sexiness, like because they was they were mentioning the Met Gala dress, mm-hmm. and she's like, so so you say it's more the detail of the sexiness, not so much the sexiness altogether." And Kim was like, "No, no, I think I think the sexiness is." is Kim's like, "I know what I said. <laughs> I know what I said." <laughs> Get out of here, girl. I said that, Nene Gibbs. Exactly. She's like, I said what I right. said. She's like, listen, honey, I know yeah. what I said. I know what he's controlling. Yeah. <sighs> and then just one more, like, note on Kanye, because he made some news very recently. Um, he stopped by the Fast Company Innovation Festival, which they hold every year, mm-hmm. um, to talk uh, about the Yeezy uh empire and he was also talking to um he he showed up with uh the yeezy shoe designer steve smith 
And apparently he has some, he did have some really insightful comments about design sustainability. He's coming out with the, he wants to make like manufacturing more sustainable. He's coming out with like an algae based shoe, which these are cool things Mm -hmm. we can respect. The Yeezys are very popular. Um, But then because it's Kanye, it quickly devolved into this social political rant. He's, um, started, he said he's changing his name to Christian Genius Billionaire. (laughs) Which tells you everything you need to know about Kanye 2019. Um, He encouraged black folks, quote, not to vote for Democrats for the rest of your lives. That's not the power. Which is like, so are you, do you see what the alternative is? But even if you, (laughs) even if you didn't, aren't you out here preaching about voting for the person you believe in and that parties aren't important? Right. Get out of here. I he needs a lot of prayer. And then the last funny thing that happened was that he announced plans to run. And I know you'll love this. He announced plans to run for president and uh, in 2024, and the audience like just bursted out in laughter. Ooh, and, and he, he got went mad. crazy. <laughs> he was like, "No, I'm serious." He went full yeah. Nazi. It was like, oh, he went full um, Trump on that one. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean. I had I got some tea about the event, but then like immediately after I started seeing the headlines, like like of course, even like Fox News picked it up. It was really interesting. Um, and of course, Fox was like, uh, "Yeah, oh yeah, Kanye said not to vote for black people, you know, with, uh, or not, not to, to vote, vote for, for Democrats, Democrats yeah. black people." And, no, and he and, probably said and, that too. <laughs> which gets to my my overall point of this is like. You see how those words, even if you were, even if you were intent, you had good intentions about like people voting for issues and not party because you get the platform that you do, what you say and your Kanye can be misconstrued and used and be weaponized against marginalized communities. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Kanye is the most dangerous black man in our culture right now Mm. because Ben Carson says stupid shit, but no one's listening to Ben Carson, right? Exactly. right? We was like, hmm. all right, Ben. Yeah. But Kanye is like relevant to so our generation. So influential. A little older than us. Mm-hmm. The young folks love him, mm-hmm. like Gen Z. And the young like, folks is who we need. Yeah, younger than us is who we need. And so that yeah. I feel like he is a danger. He's a literal danger yeah. to society at this point. I, and I thought, like, um, I thought about how. You know, we t- we're very frank about mental health on this podcast, and Kanye has been open about, well, I don't know if he's been open exactly, but <laughs> we know he has mental health struggles mm-hmm. and has in the past. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that if you, Shayna, knew that I was going through something or like, you know, depressed at home or like having an episode or something you would not if you saw me tweeting something or yeah. like in my feelings about something yeah. like you would like be like babe right this is not the, this is not the time talk to like, me about this exactly yeah and so what but he doesn't have exactly yeah that and that especially kind of, the kardashian they love are you kidding chris is <laughs> chris is bathing in a bathtub of dollars right now she loves this. She loves this. Is get out to the highest extent. She sends out her daughters to bring home black, mm. broken black oh, men, and then and out. then I rolls in like the that. money. Are you kidding? Where's Lamar Odom's ass? <laughs> oh, where's Tristan? Whoever got what's her name pregnant? 
And what's the other one? Reggie. Yep. Kim was with. Yep. Ray J. And you and you see the thing, the one that didn't make it out was damn white Chris Humphreys. He's fine. <laughs> it's when they bring a black one that they're like, you gotta suck this one for all it's worth, literally and oh figuratively. <laughs> Get out was Jordan Peele knew what he was doing in that movie. It's happening oh. right before our eyes. Well, before we move on, people get you get get surround yourself with people who care about you and won't let you and check on the people in your life. Yes. Moving on. All right. <laughs> Politics. So your girl was in the news a lot this week. Who my girl? Warren. Is she my girl? She is. <laughs> so <laughs> Congresswoman um Ayanna Presley and Black Women Four, which is an organization of black women leaders, activists, thought partners, and political strategists from across the country, both separately endorsed Elizabeth Warren for... (laughs) You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery! Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. President, this week. Um, And it's interesting, especially for Congresswoman Presley, because this was the stray from what the rest of the kind of younger minority Democrats are doing, um, where they all went to vote for Bernie Sanders. I mean, they all endorsed Bernie Sanders and she decided to step back and kind of take her own time to figure it out and endorsed Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. Um, And Elizabeth Warren also this month has jumped up depending on what you read five to nine points um, with black voters. So she's, doing something right or she's at least speaking to something and like what i thought was interesting is that um black women for the organization put out a statement about why they endorsed her and they they said multiple times like we are not looking for a savior we are not looking for a white savior we do not think elizabeth warren's going to come in and save us this endorsement is born out of a desire to set a different way of engaging with a presidential campaign and candidate yeah in leveraging our collective power to create a relationship with the Warren campaign, we are working towards an accountable candidate and elected official and are plainly making the case for proactive accountability where we are able to make asks up front and build trust as we go. So I feel like that was the big aha moment for me is that oftentimes endorsements do feel like it's because we agree with the person and i appreciated that that they said listen it's not that she is this magical unicorn and we just love her so much it's that we really feel like we can work with her and bring her to task and put her feet to the fire and she will respond which is like such a radical but like common sense yeah it should be think about yeah politician right i think um and you know for what it's worth, like um, Barack Obama voters got caught up, up, up in this too. Um, like it should, we shouldn't have to fall for a cult of a politician. A hundred percent. It should be exactly this. Like I think we can work with this person. Yeah. And they have great ideas, and and they're open to. And Elizabeth Warren has within this very campaign already like shifted and like changed and adjusted some things, um, and shown that she is like pliable and right. like and and can work um 
you know, with the constituents that she's talking about in her plans. I also want to highlight that I love that um, Black Women 4 use um, women with an X Mm -hmm. um, to uh, include uh, queer and transgender Mm -hmm. women, um, which is black to see that with like black women like being an official mm-hmm. political organization was like you know very yeah and they cool do great things and that's why it caught my eye because we hear a lot of endorsements but there are people that i personally like trust their opinion and feel like they are very thought they're definitely big thought leaders in the industry and yeah. they are that organization is one of them and so for them to come out and then say this comment that is just very like, yeah, that's how we should be approaching it. Right. That we're not looking for perfection because that's not real. And we're not looking for someone who says all of the right things. We're looking for someone that we can partner with and like bring to task. I just want to make one <laughs> one other presidential race-related observation. I saw a headline recently that said, um, uh, that pointed out that Bill Gates recently said that he won't rule out voting for... Well, okay, I'm going to back up. So I saw a headline recently that basically said Bill Gates won't rule out voting for Trump if he has to pay too much taxes. Duh! (laughs) He's rich and white! You thought he had scruples? (laughs) Um, You know what the Bible says about rich men? I know, but I just want to say that it's it's what's glaring about Bill Gates is that he is like one of the country's, if not the world's leading philanthropist. philanthropists. Mm-hmm. And so, what does it say? Cause I I know, but people, you know, philanthropy is the biggest tax break of them all. I mean, I don't. Yes, it is, but I but I I wouldn't. I feel comfortable not not lumping Bill and Melinda Gates in that in that group of. Philanthropists who just want a tax break, they actually do great stuff. I think they want both. I... <laughs> and he's telling you that the tax break's also important. <laughs> right? It doesn't have to be either or, right, JJ? Aren't you always telling me that? You know what? <laughs> Let's move on. I'm not shocked by any of it. Any of it, I None say. None of it, I say. Um, and then the last story for me, I saw a recent report uh, conducted by the Leadership Conference Education Fund, um, and it's called um, Gainful Employment, a Civil Rights Perspective. And they had a whole bunch of um, uh, really well-known organizations kind of help fund and con- uh, and conduct this research. It was uh, NAACP, the National Urban League, um, the... Uh, the National LGBTQ Task Force Action Fund, all these really uh, well-known civil rights organizations um, participated in this. And we won't have to go through all the findings, but that was some stark stuff. Um, so thankfully, at the very top of the report, <laughs> before you get into all the reading, they just have some of the quick pullouts. So key findings. Um Wait, did I even say what the report was on? <laughs> so the key, the broad finding was that for-profit higher education institutions, so colleges, universities, uh, were found to exploit black and Latino students, which is, you know, in itself, not all that. Yeah, water is wet. But then they try to drill down to some of the key findings, and it shows that um, while African-American and Latino students 
are overrepresented in um, for-profit colleges, um, they also incur um, the most debt. They they uh, have the most uh, difficult time finding uh, gainful employment um, after college, and they're most likely to default on their student loans. Um, and it says, and it it kind of it, it credits a lot of this from like substa- to substandard career education programs, um, and so it's like while colleges do a lot to recruit minorities, which I'm sure they get a lot of you know mm-hmm. tax breaks for as mm-hmm. well. Um, when it comes to making sure that they are prepared adequately for the workforce, they don't do a lot of that. Rather than providing a path toward educational and economic opportunity for profit, <clears throat> for profit, excuse me, colleges often do the opposite. Um, and I feel like all these found all these findings to me just lump under the bubble of generational wealth, yeah. right? Like it's like the reason that we are susceptible to being exploited and the reason that we have to pay so much more and have so much debt to go is because we just like are oftentimes still in 2019 first generation college students. Yeah. And the only reason that we're going to get even get there is by borrowing. Right. And just adding on to our, right. our family debt. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll include a link to, um, to the report, but I imagine that there are, some college students or pre-college students listening or parents who, um, you know, want to um, think differently or, you know, more uh, scrutinize a bit more um, the the debt that they might incur uh, when sending their kids off to college. Yeah. And, and which colleges do a better job of taking care of their babies. Yeah. And how we can educate ourselves, which I feel like our guests will help us with. So our guest this week is Connie Macabella, who is an entrepreneur, venture investor, and managing partner at Kindred Ventures. So he's just all about the money. He has so much to teach us. I'm really excited to talk mm-hmm. to him. All about the money, but doing good with the money. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Come on back. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a lot of other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place and what we use to record your business. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right. So today we have Connie Macabella, who is an entrepreneur, a venture investor, and a managing partner at Kindred Ventures. Uh, We're so happy to have you. We have so many questions. We literally (laughs) are like, how do we do it? That's like question number one. Right. The, the question of the podcast yes. is how do we do how it? How do we do it? <laughs> Welcome. Well, thank you. Very happy to be on and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. All right. Let's get started. JJ, you can go ahead. Yeah. So Kanye, our first um, question is, you know, as an investor, 
you know, as I've watched you and the way that you move, it's always been clear that your your interest in companies is based on those who lead with empathy and prioritize diversity and prioritize solving problems that other uh, companies are not really paying that much attention to. So can we start by like talking about why that guides your investment strategy and how that came to be? Yes, we can. So I'm a venture capital investor, which means my job is to invest in a portfolio of companies where if one of them works, it'll really, really, really work. And so as a result, Mm -hmm. one of the questions that you typically hear when analyzing any risky scenario is what could go wrong. And in venture capital, that's not the right question. In venture capital, the question is what could go right. And so as a result, what I spend a lot of time thinking about is in a world where this company exists, in a world where this founder is famous, in a world where this team is successful, uh, how do you articulate what makes that world interesting? How do you articulate what makes that world exciting? And so inevitably, because of my personal orientation, my personal background, I can't help but ask the question, what could go right, and find myself more attracted to answers that are a matter of inclusion and a matter of creating more social impact in the world and a matter of solving problems for people who really need urgent solutions today. Yeah. And talk a bit about your, your personal background. Um, you know, I, I, I know that you have a very um, interesting and layered uh, path to how you got to where you are today, but can you tell us how you, you know, uh, what made you into the investor that you are now? Sure. I'm glad to do that. Uh, I, I think it is instructive for the purposes of the of the audience and and also Shana for you to start a little bit earlier. So I was born in South Africa and uh, am a South African citizen. And up until about a month ago, I was only a South African citizen. I am now dual, so ah. uh, mm-hmm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, and welcome, welcome to the US. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Right. <laughs> no, he he actually posted on Instagram when he, when it was official. And Kanye, what horrible thing was happening that day that you got your dual citizenship? Do you remember? Oh gosh, there were all kinds of things happening that day. I mean, yeah. That yeah. was the day that Nancy Pelosi announced the impeachment inquiry. Actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Here we I will, are. I will, I will leave it. I will leave it to you whether that's horrible or not. I right, have my own views right. about that. Here's your American yeah. flag and all the best. <laughs> exactly. Roll, roll up your sleeves. It's time exactly. to get to work, y'all. Time to go to work. So I so I came to the U.S. under duress uh, many many years ago. I, I came as a refugee with my parents and ended up uh, living in New York and then ended up in New England. And by virtue of my parents' story, not mine, I was fortunate enough to end up going out to Stanford University for for undergrad. And when I got to Stanford, the most popular major in college at Stanford was econ. Uh, The second most popular Mm. was human biology. I believe the third was psychology. Computer science wasn't on the list. Uh, And and it was 2003, right after the dot-com had burst. And so it was a, a very different time in the Bay Area. But I went out there for the weather, but I got stumbled into or swept into startups as a result. And so I ultimately actually ended up dropping out of Stanford to do a startup. And it was something it was something that was not particularly vogue at the time. Uh, It was not something that was. 
it was not something that my parents as educators were particularly excited about. And it particularly wasn't something as, as a young black man in America that I, that I was necessarily even fully proud of, even, even though it was a choice I had made. So Mm. It, was, it was complicated for on many on many levels, but I really felt as though I had to chase the startup opportunity, and I also felt maybe more importantly that college was not delivering for me what I needed at that time, which was a safe home space to do identity formation, and we can talk about that later if you want. But at any rate, I did a startup. Uh, it it sort of worked, uh, and it ultimately failed, but it worked enough that it gave me a bit of a boot camp in. Uh, innovation and technology driven business. And so we were able to raise a couple million dollars, get a couple hundred thousand people to sign up for our for our web service. And over the course of that, I sort of became a, a Silicon Valley, quote unquote, startup guy. And that was <laughs> the beginning of a journey that has led me to this day. So it was a bit of an accident of having chosen the school that I chose and having stumbled into it at the time that I did and having met a few folks there that I ended up being in in the tech entrepreneur space i didn't grow up with a with the right computer or my parents weren't in it or anything like that i just honestly i got no. it through school so i feel fortunate about that yeah and and can you um that's, that's great uh that that fills in a lot of a lot of gaps for us um can you talk about some of the more recent investments uh and and how they illustrate like that that worldview that you um that you have about you know what companies deserve investment and 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 what companies that you want to you want to see actually putting things out into the world gladly so i made an investment in a company out of new york called heartbeat health and heartbeat health is a cardiovascular disease management technology and the thinking is what most people don't realize is cardiovascular disease is not only the number one uh, cause of death in the United States, it's bigger than all of the cancers combined. It's huge. Uh, it's one in four people. It goes up and down the socioeconomic strata. It crosses genders. It crosses demographics of every type. Uh, it is the big boogeyman. And mm. there is no big brand for it. There is no great uh, uh, clinical experience that is focused on cardiovascular disease that's really scaled. And there's certainly no technology solution that really uh, has transformed that market. And so I actually made a, an, incubated, an incubating investment into that company where I took the founder and I said to him, hey, we're going to find you a co-founder. We're going to build the V1 together, and then we'll give you some financing and, and take you the distance. And so what they do is you can book a visit and you can log on immediately and do a, a teleconsult uh, right on your phone with a cardiologist or a general practitioner, and you can get just a quick risk assessment. Where's your blood pressure? Do you have any family history? Do you know anyone in your family that's ever had a heart attack? Some of these basic questions that it turns out are actually really important inputs on the downstream risk and the likelihood that you'll have a heart attack. And so yeah. we've been doing that for about uh, a little, little over two years, but that's an example of a company where if that goes right, lives are extended and not only just lives, but all sorts of lives. And one of the things that just as, a, as an addendum, I found interesting about learning more about cardiovascular disease is it's typically thought of as a as an old man's disease, mm. uh, particularly man, particularly man, and particularly old. And yet, there are so many people who have a friend, a family member who has died um, as taken a heart attack on the treadmill, or somebody who wasn't that old, and more importantly, women. And it turns out that 
women actually, their number one risk factor for death in the United States is cardiovascular disease. Wow. Uh, it turns out that that's badly understudied and the literature isn't nearly as robust. Exactly. And so when you think about what could go right, uh, you start to ask some of these questions and you realize that there could be an equalizing effect if you're building a technology today, uh, trying to look at this from first principles. Right. And so that's one example. Well, I know, like, uh, um, uh, just to talk for a minute on the um, on cardiovascular disease, like my, my father died of a, a heart attack. And so, like, I know that, um, you know, it's uh, 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 those uh, that mortality rate is also extremely high in the African-American community. Exactly. Extremely high. And and again, badly under considered. Uh, an, another example of a company that that I was an investor in uh, is a company called Catch. It's Catch.co. And this one is a tax withholding. A retirement planning, a retirement benefits, and a health insurance platform for people who don't get their benefits from work. And so, as I'm sure you've had other guests on it, and you guys are both very well read in it, and I think you've both experienced being part of the gig economy. And one of the defining features of the gig economy is you don't get benefits. Mm -hmm. And we've built the social safety net in the United States on benefits through work until you are a certain age or unless you are below a certain poverty level, in which case you get them from the government. And what happens is as work has started to evolve, not just... Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Visit Hellsburg.com for safe and easy ways to shop this holiday, like free shipping and returns, virtual shopping appointments, or buy online and pick up in-store. And right now, get a free Microsoft Surface Go 2 with the purchase of $1,499 or more. You gift, you get. Limited time offer while supplies last. See online or in-store for details. Because of the gig economy from freelancers to Uber, but even just as the changing nature of knowledge work and manufacturing going away, the way that benefits are structured has not actually caught up. And so as a result, there's a lot of people that just don't get the right tax withholding, or the right. right financial literacy information, or the right retirement benefits, right. and most importantly, don't get access to great health insurance. And so these guys provide it via a mobile application, which you can sign up for and you're actually in open enrollment right now, and they're one of three services where you just pop on. You can get your health insurance straight via them. They'll find the optimized one for your income level. They'll automatically do withholding for you as though it was a company that does it for you. So it's a really slick service. And that's an example of a piece of infrastructure that's intended to replace the traditional safety net with one that's more oriented to the 21st century. So I've seen you give the advice. I love your Twitter, by the way. I feel like you just like know a lot of things about a lot of things. So I learned. <laughs> um, and I've seen you give the advice uh -oh. of learn to build, sell or learn both, but don't do neither. Can you yes. like, explain what that means and kind of put it in, in a little more grounding terms about what we need to be out here learning? To yes, I, I, I can I can gladly do that. And I'm very passionate about this. And it's one of those things where I, I will meet people and I'll mentor people and I'll meet with young people who are trying to figure out how to, how to make their way in the business world in particular. And so often they'll say, I'm trying to be 
uh, uh, in product, quote unquote, or they'll say, I'm trying to be in management, or they'll say, uh, I don't think I want to be a salesperson, uh, or they'll say, I don't have technical skills. I'm not a coder. Uh, so what do I do? How do I make, how do I make sense of my career? How do I set up a structure whereby I'm, I'm really creating proprietary advantages in my skill set. And what I say to them is I say, you need to be doing, let's just think in the, in the software context, you need to be doing one of two things as early as possible. And you need to become really good at them. Cold calling or debugging. I swear to God, cold calling or debugging. And the reason why is both of those are kind of nasty. They kind of stink. But if you get really, really good at either Mm -hmm. one of those, if you can sell, if you can sell sand on the beach and if you can figure out what's wrong with any system that's been built, then you've got proprietary skills that can transfer to becoming the CEO, Mm -hmm. can transfer to becoming the manager, that can transfer to having a network that's built around that skill set and can also be applied across industry. And so the truth of the matter is the best way to think about it is what's considered the dirty work, get used to it and start doing it now and fall in love with it is another Mm -hmm. way of framing that. And so often people don't want to do that. They want to do neither. They want to manage. They want to do the right type of marketing. They don't want to do the cold call type of marketing. They want to do the fun brand marketing, right? They want to do the cool, the product design. They don't want to do the debugging. And I say, you got to learn to build or learn to sell. And that's it. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just to kind of to go back briefly to uh to to VC, right? So um for for you know I assume that a lot of our audience might not know exactly like you know the difference between <laughs> she is <laughs> um like the difference between like you know for example seed investment investment and VC investment or a loan or you know. Uh, different kinds of fundraisers. So can you talk like just kind of, I mean, I know we don't have a, a super long time, but talk about like, you know, what venture capital is on a top level and why, why some entrepreneurs go that route as opposed to other kinds of financing and why you would, you know, why you would maybe, maybe look into VC. Great. I can do that. And <laughs> I'll go top. I'll go top first. So venture capital is typically made up of money from people's pension plans, money Mm -hmm. from the tuition that students pay into endowments, money from the revenue that comes into hospitals and into charitable foundations. Uh, That's actually the pool of capital that oftentimes goes into venture capital. And so that's the first thing to note. Uh, is venture capital is just along with private equity and bonds and all sorts of different uh, capital allocation structures. One of the things that uh, keeps a lot of the the institutions that we hold so sacred, it keeps them afloat. Uh, So it does pretty important work. Now, the way that it uh, tends to work is very unique to all the other asset classes because of this thing called the power distribution of outcomes. And so what that means at the firm level, is I'll make 100 investments. And if I make 100 investments, I expect two of them probably to be so good that my whole portfolio becomes 3x, even though half of the rest of them literally go out of business, go to zero. And so that's a very strange distribution of outcomes. And what that means, functionally, down to the entrepreneur level, is when I make an investment as a venture capitalist, I am thinking about two things. If this goes right, it will be so successful that nothing else matters. 
and this is almost certainly not going to go right. <laughs> and that's a very strange and almost uh, internally conflicted way of, of viewing startups. And it's a very different way of viewing startups than the way that a small a community bank might when they're trying to offer you a loan. Uh, where, right. a, where a community bank offering you a loan is like, how do I make sure this thing doesn't lose money? And venture right. capital actually isn't about that. Venture capital is how do I make sure that if this one works, it super, super, super duper works. Right. So that's one sort of structural piece that makes venture capital unique. Sure. Now, where does that, now, where does that get applied? Now, that's a, that's a quirky question because one person might say you wouldn't invest venture capital into a coffee company, for example. Because it's a you know a retail coffee shop like that's a corner store that's a small business mm-hmm. no way would that be appropriate for venture capital they're not it's not going to scale it, it's not it's likely not going to scale it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the scale potential it doesn't have the fundamental unit economics and the structure unless you're talking about blue bottle coffee which is a gosh billion dollar business which was invested in by venture capital mm-hmm. but. But but let me think about it differently. You wouldn't invest in general small business retail. So you wouldn't invest, for example, in a in a grocery store because that surely wouldn't be appropriate for venture capital. Right. Unless, of course, you're referring to 7-Eleven, which was venture capital funded. Mm. And so the funny thing about venture capital is actually it's not a business model question. It's actually more a matter of the founder, which gets me down to that atomic unit of whether or not you as an individual might want venture capital. And so the difference between a startup and a small business can probably be most elegantly described as a startup is a small business that is designed to go extremely fast, mm-hmm. to grow extremely fast. And so how do you make sure that every step you take, every piece of the business that you design, every aspect of the structure is designed for speed? Because if you can grow fast, then you can grow fast, whatever the business model, whatever the category. And it turns out that the rules about what things can grow fast versus not aren't quite as fixed as they may seem as yeah. you look at as you look at all these counterexamples, yeah. right? And so and and so for venture capital, if you're trying to think about where to get financing and you're thinking about building your own business, can I build something that's gonna go super, 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 super fast? Yeah. And what is it going to take to make it go fast besides just money? Even just like once I start selling it to people, how do I sell a ton of it really quickly? That's what's unique about venture capital at the founder level. Yeah, I, I, um, I think a lot of the, the companies and products that we touch every day, you know, we are super familiar with but are not aware we're launched with venture capital, right? So we think about like Uber, right? Um, and obviously Facebook and um, even like, like Twitter, like all, all these companies that have become like so impactful were started, you know, through what well, helped to get to where they were, they are uh, now through venture capital. But I'm also curious about, and this, and this is our last kind of VC um, uh, touch before we move on, but um, your thoughts on kind of the changing uh, attitudes toward VC and like the, the funding landscape for, for like, tech entrepreneurs in general um and i you know especially in light of you know companies like we work you know we see mm-hmm. um is is um is cratering um and when just had to um you know had to be taken over by the by the uh the the the, the venture firm uh, softbank mm-hmm. um while the the um ceo adam newman you know basically kind of got off pretty safely with a bunch of money. Um, so I don't know. How is that? What are your thoughts on what's happening? And, and, um, and, you know, 
tech uh, media and when it comes to invest investing and, and different types of investing? And then like, how is that, how is that informing like how you go about, you know, your, your next steps? That's a heady question. Uh, if I may, I'm going <laughs> to answer it slightly differently. Uh, okay. And, and so let me say this, uh, venture capital is a very unique, as I just described funding vehicle and it's not for everybody, nor should it be. And one of the things that happened over the last 10 years, I feel like the social network movie might have been one of the one of the signposts that was representative of this, is more and more people started to feel like venture capital was for everybody. And that the venture capital funded company was in fact the most valuable type of company and or the best type of company to be funded. And it turns out that that's just not true. And there's two reasons why. One of those reasons is, not every company needs to go fast. Fast isn't good. I don't think that there's a value judgment you can put on growing a company. If anything, I might even say the opposite and say that slow is generally better because you're more likely to listen. You're more likely to build empathetic systems. You're more likely to take the time to think about externalities of your business. And so going slow is not a bad thing and fast is a good thing, which is why I don't say that venture capital is good for everybody or even that venture capital is fundamentally good. It's just for a specific type of business. The second thing I'll say is we're in an interesting moment in the United States economy where what is not known to a lot of people is we're at a 40-year low in entrepreneurship in the USA. And that causes me concern on a couple of levels. And the first level... Uh, to think about your audience, and I've been listening to your pod for a bit now, and I know this issue is going to hit home for you, is you know, there's this equity gap and this uh, racial wealth gap that is so persistent and pernicious and just isn't getting better in the United States. And if I think about one thing over the last 20 years that I could point to as a major, 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 major business and or economic input on that, is that the equity rate of return, which is to say how much money you earn if you're in equities, whether it's in startups or in uh, private equity or in hedge funds or in, frankly, even in the stock market, mm-hmm. has just not been something that black people have been able to participate in at nearly the level of white people. And that mm-hmm. comes in two ways. So you For can sure. participate in the equity markets by buying into them, so investing, but you can also participate in the equity markets by starting a company. And so here's the funny thing is you can't leave your salary to your kids, but you can leave your company to your kids. Mm. And so you can actually generationally create wealth by creating equity uniquely. And we're not doing it nearly as much. And so where I think personally about venture capital being uniquely powerful and where there's an opportunity for venture capital is actually, can we put more players on the field to earn equity? Can we put more players on the field to get a, to take advantage of the equity rate of return, which is the most powerful and important way to earn generational wealth, period, full stop. Mm. And so that's where I feel a strong passion area around venture capital, and I'm a weird protective of, of it. And I think that diversifying venture capital and diversifying the portfolios within venture capital is one of the most powerful features of transforming our economy. I I don't even think about entrepreneurship in that way. Like, like when you're, we're starting, if we're starting less businesses, we're also like leaving money on the table for our, for our kids and grandkids. And you know why JJ it's because of compounding. So it takes a long time 
for a reasonable amount of money to become a huge amount of money. And the truth is that actually typically takes more than one lifetime. And if you're not creating a compounding situation for your family, then you're not going to be able to play that out. And it's typically over the 20th century been in real estate. And so if somebody left me a house that their grandfather had left them, then I'm literally you know, getting the advantage of 75 years of compounding equity returns on that real estate. Mm. And the same is actually true of uh, financial equity. And in fact, financial equity is a more resilient form of compounding returns. And so if I can't leave my salary to my kids, it doesn't matter how much of a salary I make. If I'm not saving it or putting it into equity that can then be given to them, then, then I'm somewhat limited, right? And so, and I think we have a structural issue as the black community in the United States that you know, we're on the downside of that. And it's really frustrates me. And so that's why I'm, I care so much about venture and diversity as an intersection point in particular. Yeah. Um, I love that. <laughs> and then when I think back, like when you think back to your very first investment, I feel like how my brain works, not being on this side of the business necessarily. Um, you know, a lot of times when we think about investors, we think about wealth and like how daddy gave me a million and that's how I invested it. But you told us your background and I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. And so um, I would just like love to hear like literally first investment, where did the money come from? So you're right. Uh, I didn't know <laughs> First of all, <laughs> real talk. Uh, and I'll also say that most venture capitalists do start in venture capital as already wealthy. So I got to be honest about that. And there's some structural reasons for that, which we can talk about if, if you ever have me back on the pod. Uh, I think there's opportunity to resolve some of those structural issues as well. But all the same, the vast majority of venture capitalists already made money selling a company, made money from inheriting it, made money um, by other means. Uh, I happened to not quite be one of those. I was fortunate before uh, starting my venture capital career in having sold two companies prior. Uh, and the second of those was a, was a bit of a better financial outcome. Uh, but the truth is that wasn't what uh, allowed me to make my first investment. What allowed me to make my first investment was that I got hired by a venture capital firm. Mm. Just the same way that you get hired by GE or the same way you get hired by the Wall Street Journal. And so I got hired by a firm and they empowered me to make an investment. Uh, and so when I think again to this question of how does one get started, uh, the truth of the matter is one typically gets started in venture making money somewhere else. Uh, but one might also get started in venture just by getting hired. And I think about some of the venture capitalists who've been the most successful of all time and plenty of them weren't rich when they started, but what they did have is an insight on the market and an extraordinary network and experience and proprietary experience, either building or selling something. Yeah. I And I like the honesty because I do think it is such a, it's an industry that for a lot of us is very untouchable. Right. And like we think of um, shark tank and like, that's it. And so <laughs> right. That's um, right. it is interesting to hear the, the way in and then to hear I love when people talk about kind of going from corporate to entrepreneur and how that happens. Cause I think sometimes that we've talked about this on the show, it's almost shoved down our throats that like, you got to work for yourself. And it's like, yep, you do. But we also like, there's a path there that can That's be right. through being hired by someone else. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, thank you for 
being honest about all of that. Um, so last question from me, we love to ask our guests a very practical, like, tell us what to do question at the end. Um, and so as you talk about building generational wealth, as you talk about diversity and investing, as you talk about, and I, we didn't even really get to dig into this, but, um, you know, sustainable products and products that are really working to enhance the greater good. What is one thing that we can do as like, not venture capitalists, <laughs> as not people like super well-versed, but if we want to be part of the change and we want to be part of what you're doing, what is something that I can stop listening to the show and like go start today? There are two things. And thank you for asking. I think about this a lot, which is why I have an answer ready for you. Uh, the awesome. first, The first thing is the reason why I got hired by the venture capital firm that gave me my start was because of mutual friends. And so the thing that I'll first say is this is a network-driven business for better and for worse. And so the extent to which you and I and all of us can intensely and intentionally create networks among each other such that we mm. can actually use those networks to create the same type of effect that has been created by people who have had this success. And that means something very specific. And so there are a lot of black analysts on Wall Street. There are not a lot of black junior people in venture capital. Why not? Because those are two different networks. Let's combine the heck out of those networks. Let's combine the heck out of those networks. You know what? One of the most famous venture capitalists of all time is a guy named Mike Moritz. And before he was a venture capitalist, you know what he was? He was a journalist at Time Magazine. So let's combine those networks. Okay. One of the, another one of the more famous venture capitalists in, in who's, who's working today, a guy named Bill Gurley, who did, who took Uber public along with a, a number of others was a college ball player who then went and, and was an equity research analyst on wall street. And so this notion that you have to be already part of the entrepreneurial community to get into venture isn't on its face true. It just has been true for us thus far. But it doesn't have to be. If we can, if we can enrich our networks and be more intense and intentional about them for the purposes of creating more equity earning opportunities, I think that's one. And then two is invest. Now, okay, with what money, right? But I think that. Where am I putting it? Yeah, where and how? But I, but I, but I think that a fifty dollar investment, a hundred dollar investment, a thousand dollar investment today into a diversity of things that you can put your money into period is such a powerful thing a because i also believe that angel investing and community driven investing is cultural and we in the black community need and would benefit from creating a broader culture of all of us just having our assets out there and it should be an amount of money that's responsible for you so it's okay if it's an amount of money that's small but just invest it because if we do that then when i as an entrepreneur who's a black young man who's coming out of you know who's coming out of tuskegee and my name is jj and i'm trying to think about getting my start what i might say is oh cool i'm going to call my friends cuz they know how to do this they're used to investing and, th and then they're going to introduce me to their networks because even though they're all going to Wall Street, half of them went from Wall Street to venture capital. And so then I'm going to have a friend of a friend introduce me to an angel investor. And so I think that getting an, a culture of investing and then also creating more networks cross-functionally and looking at where there's like folk who already have some rise and intersecting that with entrepreneurship and venture will be so powerful for us. That's great. Can, can you, can you, uh, uh, and I, we usually don't ask another question after that, but I, but you kept saying angel investor. And I also know that a lot of like, like, uh, 
old heads like um, like rich black folks end up being angel investors. <laughs> can you, yeah. which, which I think is very relevant to to our podcast as well. Can you can you talk about quickly uh, what angel investing is? Angel investing is investing personally. So venture capital is investing other people's money typically, though not not exclusively. And angel investing is investing your own money. Simple as that. Now, there are a lot of old heads, to your point, who have real wealth uh, and for whom angel investing is something that is highly possible. And for them, and just like for every angel investor, you typically want to invest in people that you know or the people who you know know. And so we do have to deepen our networks of angel investors and support each other by introducing each other to more of those old heads who can unlock dollars for us. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was very good and like very thought producing, which we, we always want. Okay, good. Yeah. I, and forgive me, forgive me for being hyper tactical, but I'm all about getting from point A to point B. And I no, know y'all are about is, that. That's so. what we need. We literally want someone to be like, go do this. Like this is, I think a lot of times, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so right. when we do talk to young black people that are doing it, it makes it so much more attainable that like, I never thought about VC before, but it's like, all right, like investing is something I can start immediately, you know? So mm -hmm. no, it was really helpful. Thank you so much. Well, last thing I'll leave you with, uh, my Twitter DMs are open. So, so tell your listeners to holler at me and I will do my best to respond to everyone I can. Oh, that's awesome. That's very and nice. Twitter, just like follow him on Twitter in general. Like <laughs> you always post stuff that I'm like, Kanye's social media life that. is lit. He, yeah, he's like, you're just so smart. Like the other day, like, <laughs> this is the stocking. Like the other day, um, you posted like today I learned that Rent the Runway is the biggest dry cleaner in the world. <laughs> that that blew Which my is mind. also so true. Like what you wouldn't think about yes. it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you got the facts. And much. you know, I work in fashion, so I was like, "Oh my gosh, what?" <laughs> so, yeah. Well, much, much, much love, y'all. I'm a, I'm a yo business listener, so I'm glad Aww. to be a caller now, and I'm looking forward to promoting you guys as you continue to move up. Awesome, Aww. thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, We appreciate your time. Yes, anytime. Soon. Bye. Bye. I always love hearing the other side of money, mm -hmm. right? Like we we think of we talk about money in such like either a survival way or a negative way. And it's so nice when we get to talk to people that show how money can be used for good, mm -hmm. to do good, to keep money circulate, right? It just like puts such a positive spin on something that, you know, sometimes we think is the root of all evil, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, they can do good and they can like help get products out into the world that otherwise without folks like Kanye wouldn't get out. Yeah. So thanks, Kanye. That was a great talk. For sure. All right, now time for L. L. C. I always love your enthusiasm around LLC. I it's love like, LLC. It's almost like you've been waiting the entire episode been. to get to LLC I have every been. episode. Because I, I feel like my whole life is a learn, love, cancel. So it's just like right. now I get to do it on the microphone. Right. I love it. Um, you go. So I heard about this uh, this loved um, on moguldom.com, which I really... Uh, we we find out a lot of our um our black business news on Moguldom and so if you don't go there already, you should. It's um really informative website. So I found out about this tool um called the uh cap table simulator. Um and it's <clears throat> it's by a venture capital firm 
You know, we just finished talking about venture capital with Kanye. Um, the cap, the firm is called Six Four Five Ventures, and it's started by two black men um, who are co-founders and general partners, Aaron Holiday and Nandi Okike. Um, I'm sorry, Nandi, if I butchered your name. It sounds, uh, <laughs> sounded good. Um, but they they released this thing that's actually really really cool so they they are investors and entrepreneurs but they're doing something that a lot of investors don't do for entrepreneurs which is to show you how much of your company you are giving away when you take an investment because a lot of times mm-hmm. when you most times when a company um goes out for venture uh investment you're saying you're it's not a loan right you don't have to pay it back you're saying if you give me this money, I'm giving, I'm diluting the equity in my in my company, taking away the equity in my company and giving it to you. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening, oftentimes, especially for <clears throat> for um, minority entrepreneurs, is you know because we're still figuring out a lot of this because we've been blocked out of industries like this, mm-hmm. we end up like with a small, small piece of our company at the end of the day. So even even if like you go on to be super successful and like you know, you maybe sell the company, um, you might not get as big of a windfall as you would have otherwise because you only kept, like, you. by the time you finished raising money, you only kept, like, a small piece of it. Right. So, um, 645 Ventures released this cap table simulator that can show you how to avoid, uh, like, a what entrepreneurs call a fucked cap table. <laughs> oh. Uh, when, when you have, like, basically... The investors owning more of a startup than the founders. Entrepreneurs are out here throwing the F-bomb around? Oh, yeah. Fuck cap table is like a real thing. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) How spicy. Um, So, um, it's very cool. Like, I'll um, I'll link to um, the the tool uh, in um, the show notes. And I just, I wanted to, you know, you talked earlier about how a lot of um, black investors and people with money think community first you mm-hmm. know and this was another example of that mm-hmm. you know it's like okay we're investing how can you, we but, but also look at your cap table yeah right? make you know? sure that we're not just taking <laughs> exactly that's cool so that's my loved um cool. from these two seemingly cool black men and then my learned um is that adulthood equals letting go um, or be or be dragged. Or be, right, yeah, that's what you, Chloe. Or be dragged, kicking and screaming. Yeah, Chloe that we had on the show says that all the time. Mm. <laughs> yes, let go or be dragged. Yeah, that's ooh okay, Chloe. So for real, I love because it's because it's so true. It's yeah. like things are gonna move along. Yeah, you get to choose if you yeah. gracefully let go or if life just drags you along until mm. you do. That's a that is a word, Chloe. She's been saying that for years. I love Chloe. <laughs> um, so you know. Just quickly, we don't have to do a whole long um, diary entry, but <laughs> um, but I'm it's, it's, letting go is a recurring theme that I am coming up against, like with a lot of changes in my life. Um, I just got, you know, we talked recently about my new position. Yeah. At the at the journal, yeah. It's been like so great to be in this place that you know is very reputable and has extremely smart people and extremely um like well-known properties and 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 well-respected journalism um and you know you can 
I think a lot of times what happens with, with young black folks is that that is a recipe for uh, us to feel imposter syndrome when we enter those kinds of environments. And so um, one thing that I'm realizing that I have to let go of is like this this narrative that like you have something to prove, mm-hmm. you know, like the narrative that um, that things can change at any minute, you know, like, you know, some of the trauma I've been through in life and um some back-to-back-to-back traumas. And so, like, one thing that I'm working with my therapist on... Oh, I'm back in therapy. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like retraining, for sure. Retraining my brain to, to, like, like, let go of like this narrative that some like another shoe is about to drop, like mm-hmm. and like the rug is gonna be yanked from under me at any moment. Mm-hmm. And even even if there is a big change, like you have shown and God has shown and evident. <laughs> yeah, my 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 therapist always said, "What's the evidence? Yes, evidence that has shown be that you will be fine and that you." But what's happening right now? This is supposed to be happening. You mm-hmm. belong here, mm-hmm. so let go of this narrative that has not served you well in but any of your. It, it did maybe when you were young, right? Like I feel right. like we have to be so. I am so grateful for the narratives that my body created to keep me safe when they mm. needed it. That but was now, my. But now, right. right now, you don't need it anymore. Right. You've outgrown it's it. Like, it's like thank you, brain. Mm-hmm. Thank to you for trying out, to protect me, but, but you don't I'm need to now. anymore. We're good. So let's just edit that out. Uh-huh. And then just the last thing for me is also habits. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, I'm from going from freelance to full time. Like I am waking up a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> which means I need to go to bed earlier. Mm-hmm. Which means I need to like have my my brain in a, in a certain place when I get to bed. Which means I need to be on time for things. Which means I need to not obsess over things or like indulge in certain things. Like, and these are the things that need to fall back for me to get to the next place. Yeah, and so. That's my learned. That's like, beautiful. And it's like it's something that you always know at the back of your head, like as you're growing up. But it's like, oh, this is this is game time now. Like, I really have to let go so I don't be dragged. Yes, <laughs> and that's the thing. Once you get older, you're like, oh wait, it's actually a detriment. Like mm-hmm. when you're younger, it's, it's like a- I'm holding on to it, right? But now you're like, oh shit, like stuff that could have come to me, I didn't even have any space to accept it with open hands mm. because I was holding on to all these old things. Let it go. Yes. 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 I love that. Good for you. I'm so proud of you. Thanks, boo-boo. My heart just <laughs> opens up. I'm so proud of you. Not open heart. Yeah, you know my heart is, my heart is a robot heart. My. Um, so I have... No, you're not. Yolanda? That's why... Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, who is that? Um, so I have a canceled and a loved. Okay, my canceled up. is quick. And I was disappointed because... I don't know why I don't just come to expect this. So, you know Modern <laughs> Love, which is a New York Times... I watched the first episode recently. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know it was like a New York Times column, column mm-hmm. and then they it was a podcast, mm-hmm. which I really... I've always loved the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then recently, Amazon released the series. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't even watched it yet because all the previews... Is there any black women in there with love interests? No, and there won't be. But there are men of color with white women. Oh because you know who gets gosh. love? You know who gets modern love? Not us. <laughs> but you know what we do get to be? Sidekicks. 
Because mm. I'm sure there's black women in there, but they are best friends or nurses or receptionists. Mm. That to me, I didn't even. You just read me. That to me cannot be an accident. Mm. It can't be because there's a white woman with a black man, a white woman with an Indian, right? Like, so you, so only- so you decide you pick you you knew minor you knew diversity was important in some mm. sense, but you the the person that got the love always had to be a white woman. Mm. And I thought you didn't see any importance uh, to show black love, like to dispel myths that you know of black husband and wives not being able to make it well there's a black man on there but he found himself a white wife or well that's what i was going to say that you i feel i feel a little red right now because (laughs) i i watched the episode and i loved it Mm. but then at the end um this actor uh brandon victor dixon who's uh well known right now he Mm -hmm. he was in jesus christ superstar Mm -hmm. play he was Um, good and uh, he ends up being this woman's like love interest that she like found somewhere and like where she moved to for a little while, and mm-hmm. she comes back to the place she moved from, and then all of a sudden she has a black husband or boyfriend now, mm-hmm. and he maybe has like three lines out of like the whole hour episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but at and least I, and I don't even think. But at least even... he gets love. <laughs> the black women are non-existent. Mm-hmm. They don't get any love story, which is. A tale as old as time that black women are not deserving of a fairy tale. So I, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> and then my last one is my loved. So, you know, you mentioned it a little bit, but I am at a point in my life where f- things are fitting and I feel like it doesn't feel like this all the time. And I'm recognizing that even in this feeling, right, it's not like this perfect fairy tale, but there a lot of doors are opening and I've been really manifesting on paper since like June, like really every morning getting up and writing the kind of day that I'm going to have like literally right. Like when I was super single, not dating anyone, I was writing like, I will have a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. I will have a trustworthy and honest partner. Right. Just like when I didn't know anybody, just writing all these things in the future, I wrote like, I will have a safe and comfortable and healthy living space to myself to grow and like writing all of that. And those things are happening. Mm -hmm. And part of what my gratitude writing has turned into is Now I I talked about what I wanted, what I manifested, and now I want to talk about what I'm also letting go. Mm. Because like in your like you said, there is an important part. We can say all the things we want, but what's our part? We have to come in and say what we're willing to let go Mm -hmm. of. So I'll put these in the notes, but there's three prompts every morning that I write a response to. Mm. One says, I will let go of. Mm. And that could be one word. I didn't even even, like see that when I was put in my love it's a theme the second one is i am thankful for and the third one is i will focus on and so for me like let go is often disappointment doubt fear anxiety right all of those things but sometimes i will let go sometimes it's a positive thing like i will let go of feeling like i need to have it together just like little things like that or like i will focus on like stopping thoughts that do not serve me mm-hmm. um and so i'm so proud of you <laughs> even, like saying that yes. 
therapy, man. Um, and so, yeah, so these prompts have changed me. And I feel like to go back and like, I might get emotional, but like to go back in June and like see that I was writing about things that are happening. June's not even that long ago, you know? And like, and so I think for me, it was, it was so important for me to like be honest with myself and with God and with the universe around us of like what I was ready for. Mm. And those things are happening. Those things are opening up and I am so ready for them. And like, I stand in a very honest place that if they stopped happening, I would be ready for that too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I just like want whatever is there for me. Um, And so these prompts have been like just great. And just to write about, what is there and what you want instead of what you don't have. Mm. And so that's what I make sure to do in my gratitude journals or my manifest journals. I never talk about like how I don't feel something. It's like, what do you feel? Mm -hmm. What's there today? (laughs) Even if it's, even if what's there today is anxiety, Mm -hmm. let's talk about like the parts of that, that are helpful. All the things that we started this podcast. Yeah. 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 All the things that we started this podcast to to educate ourselves about, to educate other people about, to help each other out with, mm-hmm. for me, for you and I to help each other, mm-hmm. it, this is happening. Mm-hmm. These things are happening. For both of us. 401ks, raises, like new apartments. Negotiating, therapy. Come on. Yay. <laughs> we're over I here. I just got tingles. Yes, we're over we're here just like just... tearing up over the mics, y'all. Um, but we love you guys. My gosh. Like, yeah. thank you for listening to us. Cause these conversations happen, whether y'all are listening or not. <laughs> so we're happy that you keep coming back. Um, and we're going to keep coming back. We're going to keep doing it as long as we can. Amen. Yes. All right. Love you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. As things change, other things stay the same. Like Ohio Lottery scratch-offs, from small tickets to big tickets, from bright colors to flashy themes. There's something for everyone. Big wins make big stories, but it's the millions of small wins every day that make life-changing memories. And your biggest win will come by following the state-recommended safety protocols during this special holiday season. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.